Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host. Today, we have my friend Mike McAllister. Mike is a California native living in San Clemente, California with his wife and two beautiful daughters. He has multiple ASE and Ford master certifications, as well as technical school certificates in automotive and heavy equipment mechanics. Mike believes that the only social media he needs is email. However, if you want to connect with him, you can sometimes find him on his wife's Instagram feed, which can be found with the handle at Chasing McAllister's. He has been sober and in recovery for over 10 years. Mike is a committed member of a 12-step recovery group. His experiences are his only and not representative of the group as a whole. I had so much fun recording this episode with Mike. He did an incredible job. Mike is Emily McAllister's husband, and she is one has been one of our guests. An update is that the teacher that Mike talks about wanting to make amends to, he actually did call and make amends to this woman after the episode and was inspired by our conversation to do so. He says that he feels like he has a huge weight lifted off of his shoulders. This was so exciting for me, and I'm just so proud of Mike, and what a wonderful thing to have happen as a result of telling your story. So anyway, I hope you all enjoy this wonderful episode. Episode 39, let's do this. Mike, welcome to the podcast booth. You are officially our tallest guest, 6'3". Six, 6'3", three. Six, three, yes. Okay. Uh, well, we're going to have to get a, some bigger chairs in, in here. So, okay. So I want to start by saying that you are married to my friend, Emily McAllister. Yes, correct. And she was episode seven of season one. And um, so that's pretty exciting. And that... I actually met you on the day that you met Emily. Yes. It was an interesting. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> not definitely our finest a wild, ever. Wild night, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, and you've been sober how long? A little over 10 years. I got sober uh, November 18th, 2009. So when I took 10 years, it was like, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I took it seven, eight, nine. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sober, right? It's right. not like my first or my second. But it, when I, I, there was a couple years ago where it had been longer than I realized. I hadn't been arrested in 10 years where I was like kind of emotional about it. I was like more, <laughs> it meant more to me that I hadn't, I managed to stay out of jail yeah. for longer than 10 years than almost being sober. Like when I was staying yeah. sober, it was like, that's just kind of what we do. Yeah. You know? Right. But the fact that you had not been incarcerated for 10 years was yeah. like this huge. It was a big deal to me. Yeah. I think I might have even called someone and was like, dude, I haven't been arrested in 10 years. <laughs> but hopefully they were in program to yeah, yeah, of course. everyone else and be like, yeah. yeah, good job. I haven't been arrested ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Yeah. We get like these kudos for doing what everyone else is supposed to be doing. Yeah. So where did you grow up in Orange County? No. No, so I grew up in the high desert. I grew up in a small town. At the time, it was a very small town called Hesperia. Um, oh, Hesperia. Yeah. Great tattoo shop there. Yeah, and it, you know, when I was when I was a kid, it was just a little dirt town. Uh, there we had there was Main Street, and there was one stop sign on Main Street. Oh wow. Um, it was very undeveloped. You know, I remember like fourth grade, there was like Taco Bell came to town, and people were like lining up. 
Yeah. Like the iPhone. Yeah, like I never heard <laughs> of it. But I was like, what's the big deal? You Nacho Bel Grande's like iPhone 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hesperia. Yeah. So it's uh, pretty rural, you know, uh, just a small blue blue collar town. And uh, that was okay. So you you and I are same age. So you were thirty three. So that so then since then it's no longer a small town. Is that no? I mean during like the housing boom uh, in the early two thousands. Yeah. Uh, it just exploded. Okay. You know, and then along with you know you started seeing you know prior to this there was you know st- street lights. It just it it grew as a city. Yeah. What's it like growing up in a small town? What did your parents do in that town? So I, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was all I knew. I would love to go back to a small town. My, uh, my dad was a painter, uh, okay. painted houses. And then my mom, as a kid, um, she ran a daycare out of her house okay. while she went to, uh, she was a full-time nursing student as well. Oh, wow. So like she ran the business all day and went to school all night. And do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother who's two, two and a half years younger than me. And then I have a sister who I have a half sister who I think she's about 19 and a half, 19 okay. and a half, 20 years younger than me. Okay. And that's on mom or dad's side? On my mom. Mom's side. Okay. Yeah. And um, does your mom live nearby? Is she, are you yeah, close? Yeah. So my mom's now in Orange County. Okay, yeah. Cool. And uh, so what was it like growing up? So you're, you know, it sounds like your mom was very busy. Yes. And there were a lot of kids in the house. I take it? Yeah, yeah, 10 kids, you know, 10, 12 kids probably every day. Was that, how was that, how did that feel? Like, oh, my mom's taking care of all these other kids. You know, it was crazy. So my home, I have a, I grew up in an alcoholic home, right? Um, What does that mean? So my dad was an alcoholic. Okay. My dad was an alcoholic. You know, my grandfather was an alcoholic. I have an aunt and uncle who both died of alcoholism. So it's a big deal in my family. Um, And so I... And my, my grandpa was, uh, when he died, he had 40 years sober. So my whole wow. life, my whole life, my grandpa was sober, right? I yeah. knew what Alcoholics Anonymous was. I knew, I just always knew about yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, and did he live nearby? No, my grandfather lived in uh, Laverne. Okay, how far is that? For From people? where I grew up, yeah. uh, an hour drive, 45 okay, minutes. Okay, okay, And then my dad, my entire childhood was in and out of, in and out of the program. Okay. So me and my dad, I'm the typical, like what the book talks about, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? So... My dad would get sober. Life would be good. Life was kind of stable, you know. But I, it was a religious home. I grew up in a, in a, a Christian house, um, so we would go to church every Sunday. You know, I uh, there was like morals. I was instilled, you know, yeah. there was morals instilled. And but then when he would get loaded, it was a complete opposite. You know, it was extremely violent. I was disciplined like severely. You know, with the belt. I mean, when I, when he was sober, I would still get the belt, right? But I knew when he was drinking how because of the beatings I would get. You know, I, did everyone in your house get the belt? No, no. My Just brother was treated like the baby. And, and I don't know if this was like on purpose yeah, or whatever, yeah. but, you know, he, he was you, the baby. Were you the only one that got the belt? I paid the price. He got hit a couple times, okay. but it wasn't like. And uh, so two questions on that. Like, what did you th- think were other, like, did you think that that was the norm? Like, yeah, this is the norm. Like other people in your community, this, you know, most kids got hit with the belt. Yeah. 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 Okay. Most of my friends all got the belt. Okay. Okay. And then what do you think about that now? If it was a good thing for me, or I mean, if it had a negative effect. I definitely responded very well to the belt. Okay. Like if I knew I was going to do something I wasn't supposed to do, I had to be willing to get that get right. the belt. You know. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just like playing in my head. Just they they've done all this research that the most violent place in America is in the home. Yeah. And that children who have have had corporal punishment that 
they tend to grow up to be more, more violent, w- yeah. maybe even not, you know, more being just more, not necessarily right. being enough to be a problem, but just more than other people. And so I was just curious, like if, I mean, you have two little girls, like would it, would you? Oh, no, I would never. That's something like, so I definitely, that's one of the good things about like being sober and being like able to break that. That, yeah. For, so you definitely, you responded well to it, but it's not something you think is the, is how you would no not in my house and what what i learned what i did learn from that yeah was how effective physical violence is yeah you know whereas like people would be like i remember the teachers being like well let's talk this out and i'm like let me just punch the kid in the mouth right right right. you know right so like you so so that's it that's true it's that's an interesting thing i um I think I thought that too. Yeah. I think I thought that too, where it was where there was a lot of like talking and I knew that if I just acted violently that people would respond, whether it's fear, whether that's fear, whether that's aggression back, you'd get yeah. some kind of response, right? Yeah. So then were you unwilling to use any like were you like, okay, violence is the way to communicate in the world? Absolutely. Yeah. Like in and when I did use it as a kid, you know, it worked. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's a highly effective tool for a young kid. And you you were, like, so tell me about how, because you're an enormous human being. Yeah. Um, Tell me about your size when you were little. I've always been bigger. Okay. So, like, like, not only was violence an effective tool, but you were clear, physically able to intimidate. Yeah. By, like, junior high, I was probably six foot, 180. And by high school, I was 200 pounds, six foot two. Jesus. Okay, so so then, um, Dad, how often do you think that Dad got sober? Like what, or like what were the increments of time? Like how what was how what was how long did stability last for? So, but for my parents were married eleven years. Um, they got divorced when I was eleven. But during that eleven years, he did go like five years. He made okay. it like five years. So okay. there was like a period where straight, yeah, where like life, you know, that was like finally like there was still. You know, he's an alcoholic, so he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, the behavior is a little right, different right, right. than the average human being. But it was still, like, stability. You know what I mean? Like, Did he go to meetings? Yeah. He was huge in Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. Um, and so I was, like, the little kid at the meetings, right? right? Um, so, and that was, like, how I interpreted it. Now, Orange County looks a little different, AA-wise. Um, <laughs> where I grew up, there was a lot of, like, very low bottom, yeah. straight out of prison. Like, right. guys just completely covered in tattoos. Yeah. Just big, burly-looking guys, yeah. right? And uh, so that's, like... That's what I equated, like... For sure. This is what an alcoholic is. This is what they look like. You know? Right. Um, and my grandpa would, like, detox guys uh, in the garage uh, giving them vodka. Yeah. Um, so, like, okay, well, that's that's what an alcoholic is, right? right. That I could recite the Lord... Or not the Lord, the serenity prayer as yeah. a kid. And I was like, cool, I know what What'd it's all about. What did you think about... What Like, can you go back and think, like, what did you think about the program? Were you like, like, this is good, this is bad, this is weird, or just... Do you think you ever thought about it? I thought, you know what? I actually thought... Being around those guys, they I mean, like I said, they were big, burly guys. Yeah. Like this I thought it was really cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I knew I knew my dad's behavior and my parents' relationship yeah. was better when he was going to meetings. Yeah. Going to doing Yeah. AA. So he gets um what was the period of time that he was sober, those five? Oh from so he got loaded right after my parents got divorced. So from like Okay, so at eleven. Yeah. So what would that be from like seven, eight years old to 11? So when that happened, so your parents get divorced. How did you feel about that? I felt responsible for it. Oh, okay. Like I internalized, I was, I remember like as they were telling us, me and my brother, I remember crying and saying, no, I'll be, I'll behave. I'll do, Mm. I'll be different. And I had like a lot of my own stuff going on. You know, I was a super angry kid. Uh, We just, you know, I fought a lot because of 
I don't know, it's just the stuff boys do, I guess, when you're that age. And uh, and I was already getting in trouble, you know, and like I was already stealing cigarettes from my 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 grandma. And right, you you had your first drink at what eight? Eight, yeah, second grade. What? So in second grade, what did you? How did that go down? So like I knew I knew how dad acted when he drank. Right. Right. Um, I knew how. Was my, he ha- like was he ever happy or was he always angry? Like, did you have any like? Oh, no, that- he was like. He was happy, but okay. there was like a light switch that right, right, snapped. Right. Totally, you totally. know, yes, it was I like you do something wrong <laughs> uh-huh. and it would go south, extreme, real fast. Yeah, yeah. And so, while my mom was in nursing school, she would have like these, you know, margarita parties at night with the other students. You oh know, yeah, yeah, studying and whatever. Studying, point, yeah. yeah. And I saw how they behaved. Right. For okay. alcohol, you know, and then I saw like Cheers was on TV. You know, right. it was Married with Children. Right. Like I, that was like my other exposure to alcohol. Right. So, and then I was always told no. You know, you can't have any. And I was like, well, this is kind of BS. Right. And uh, so I got into the only drink I, for whatever reason, knew how to make was a screwdriver. Um, and I, there was a, I had a friend over and I poured a heavy, heavy on the oh, vodka, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. just enough orange juice so it would turn yeah, orange. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I started drinking it and he took a couple sips of it and didn't want any. And I'm right. like, we have to drink this. Like, Yeah, uh, I made it. We can't well, waste it. Well, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I was later in yeah, life. I'm right, not right. throwing it away. Yeah. Uh, but, no, at that time, I'm like, if we get caught, like, for one, I'm going to catch a huge ass whooping. Right, right. Like, and make I'm, it worth it kind of deal? Yeah, yeah. Let's get this. And, but during that, so I probably drank, like, a half pint of vodka, oh. you know? Not enough to, uh, like, I definitely got drunk from it. Yeah. It was enough for me to remember, like, the experience and the, how I felt when I drank it that my... Uh, you know, like you hear, I was born with, my skin was too tight. Mm-hmm. It loosened up, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and I just didn't care. Like, I just didn't care, uh, about how I felt, you know? Something that I experienced was, and a lot of people talk about is like, I didn't know how anxious I was until I wasn't. Like, I didn't, like, yeah. I didn't know how much I needed that drink until I had it. Yeah. Right. Cause I didn't, I had never experienced the other side of relaxation of like, you know, my skin not being too tight. Yeah. And like, or did, so did you have that experience or did you kind of know that you were uncomfortable? No. Well, what I knew was, is I felt I wasn't angry. Right. You know, okay. I wasn't like, I didn't, just didn't feel wound up like a pressure cooker as a kid, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I knew I'm like, so this is what they've been hiding from me. I'm okay. going to do this the rest of my life, you right. know? And I didn't, under, and I, even growing even after that, I didn't, I couldn't understand how people didn't do it every day. Yeah. Like, I, it just didn't make sense to me. Right. Do you remember the first time that you were angry? Like, do you remember, Do you, can you recall the first time you're like, I'm angry? Like, as a young child? Yeah. Oh, uh, all the time. Like, I don't remember the knowing, the, even be able to identify that yeah, was yeah, a feeling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would get, you know, I'd get in trouble and I would just like rage, you know, and then I would go in the bedroom and when it, here, so here's, here should have been a red flag, right? I would get locked up, my, go to my bedroom, and I would hyper, make myself hyper, hyperventilate, <laughs> and I would hold my breath until I'd pass out. And yeah. then I would come to, and I would just be like, I would feel like that tingling sensation. Yep. And I'm like, this is amazing. You know? And like, that's how I figured out how to calm myself down. Wow. How old was Reed? I was a kid, like. Little. Yeah, kindergarten, yeah. first grade. Yeah, so, I mean, you really were born with, I mean, that just ism, just embedded. Yeah. Why did you think that your parents' divorce was your fault? I was, you know, I was getting in a lot of trouble at school. I would like, they would ask me to do reports or they would ask me to do this. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, I don't, I just don't care. You know, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think that was just like a go-to. I didn't know any other way to feel except I'm responsible. I'm responsible. Yeah. And so they split up. And what, how do you find out that dad has relapsed? So the, 
shortly after shortly after my parents divorced, my dad's mom died. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's not the alcoholic who's able to hide it. Right. You know, it's like right. by day two, you know, he's yeah. drinking. Yeah. Just his, you know, the way he talks, his attitude. Was it a conversation? Like, did your mom say like, dad's drinking again or like? No, I mean, he wasn't in the house. But, but like, did anyone mention it? Because he had five years of sobriety. Yeah. So for that to end, was it even, did anyone bring that up or were you just noticed it and that I was just, new normal? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just knew dad's drinking dad's again. Dad's drinking again. That's it. Yeah. And um, how, how did that affect your drinking? So I was, what, 11. And by, so from, like, from my first, to my first drink, I got a hold of anything that could make me feel different, any mm-hmm. chance I had, whether it be, like, going through my friend's parents' medicine cabinets, mm-hmm. you know, and just finding the bottle that said, do not operate heavy equipment, oh. you know? I was like, cool. That's the yes, one I want. I don't absolutely. know what it is, but I want that one. Do not mix with alcohol means Perfect. mix with alcohol immediately. Yeah, and take more than what the <laughs> bottle says. <laughs> yes. You know? So. Uh, there's, a, there's a commercial for a drug called um, Lyrica, and, it, it, you know, pharmaceutical drug. And every time I watch it on a TV, and it's like, do not mix with alcohol. And my brain goes, this has got to be great with alcohol. Like, I, it's, yeah. it's, you know, we just, like, hone in on that, like, Yeah, and I'm going to crush it. Oh, yeah. Because I want it now. I don't yeah. want to wait 20 minutes for it. No, no. And there's no waiting. No. <laughs> waiting is really, really <laughs> unacceptable. Yeah. So you, what age were you going through medicine cabinets? Oh, same, probably 9, 10, 11. You know, that, when I figured out, like, if I took too much medicine or if I drank too much NyQuil or whatever it, whatever yeah. it may be, I would have an effect. And so by that time, it was like an experiment. Like, did your parents see this? Um, I mean, did your mom, was your mom like, oh, boy. No, there was another time I got into the alcohol cabinet, and uh, I ended up passed out in the hallway, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, diff- I got in trouble for it. And yeah, they poured out, she, my mom poured out all, all the alcohol, Yeah, which was like, bummer, right? Right, but definitely um, not a deterrent. No, but like, that was it, you know? Okay. My consequences were like yard work, you know? Right. Yeah, I was mowing the lawn. We lived on an, almost an acre. It was like, hey, go weed, go weed right. the yard. Right, right, um, right, right. So you were going through medicine, and, and then how did that progress? I think, so once my dad was out of the house, Mm -hmm. it was like full on, I'm going to do whatever I want. By that time, I was almost the size of my mom, you know? And uh, I'm like, well, you're not going to stop me. And no other man is coming into my house and going to try to discipline me. Like, that's not happening. Right. Um, Did it? No. Yeah. No. Any any guy who came around, like, I was totally, I was a jerk kid, you know? Yeah, they were like, yeah, no. I'm not getting involved with this lady. Yeah. You know? And uh, I want to say by like 12... I found a, I actually found a big bag of weed at my dad's house, and I knew what it was, and I didn't know how to smoke. I didn't know anything about it, but for some reason I knew what it was. Right, right? okay. Um, and I pinched a lot of it. I didn't know how much I needed, and took it to a couple of friends, and we rolled it up and smoked it. Yeah. And, uh, and so there was, like, another vice for me. I loved smoking weed. Right, and that just, that just like, increased, you know, it was, now it was like, this is just a full-time job. Yeah, yeah, so then by, like, junior high, I'd gotten in a I'd gotten in a fight on the bus on the school bus in seventh grade, mm-hmm. and my junior high was like four four and a half five miles away. And I I got on the bus, and there was like there was two other kids, and this was like Pokemon cards, right? Mm-hmm. And I told these kids, I'm like, I said something like, "You guys are lames," you know, something right, right, right. probably a little bit more extreme. Right. But I said something, <laughs> right? And uh, and while while at my stop, it was time to get off, and this other kid kicked me or punched me, came at me over the side of the side of my head, right? The lame kid did. Yeah, the lame kid did. Wow. And uh, and like I said, seventh grade, I was like, yeah, six foot. T- I was yeah, a big kid. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I 
pulverized this kid. Yeah. And so I was kicked off the bus. I had to go to court. They tried to, and thank God this was like the time when uh, they put cameras on buses. So I ended up getting kicked off the bus. We both had to go to court. He didn't get kicked off the bus. Um, and then we both got charged with mutual combat. So, mutual combat. Yeah. Okay. And I was probably, what would I be, 13, 12, 13 yeah. at the time. So then I had to walk to, I had to get to school every day. And so there was a Vons, there was a Vons about a block and a half away from me. And I would go there every morning and I would, or almost every, if I was out. Yeah, yeah. I would go there whenever I needed to and I would steal a bottle of alcohol and I would walk before, you know, then there was a mobile where you could get a, a big drink mm-hmm. and I would just fill it up and I would get, I would drink every day to school where I had to ride my bike or, uh, or walking. And I would just, and I was able at that time, I was able to like maintain, right? Mm-hmm. I was able to catch like, get right to that like sloppy mm-hmm. where I was still kind of like people wouldn't know. Yeah. And stay that way all day. And it was an everyday thing for me by that time. And did other people know? Yeah, my friends did. Yeah. But and they weren't even like. Were they doing the same thing? They would, I mean, we would like on the weekends or whatever, yeah, yeah, Friday. But they, they weren't would drink. like daily drinkers. Oh, no, no. Yeah. And it, you know what? When you're that age, it's kind of like the, it was a joke. They thought it was right. funny. They're like, right. oh, he's, he's drinking. He's dr- again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It is funny when you're that age. Yeah. Because um, it seems so ridiculous. Yeah. And so how did things progress from, from there? That was, did you, did anything happen as a result other than like uh, mutual combat? No, you no. know, I like, I've been busted by my mom a few times. Yeah. And yeah. It was just like, like my attitude by that time was, yeah, you're not going to do anything. To me. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. do it anyway. Right. You know? Right. And that was very similar to how I was. Yeah. So by the end of my seventh grade or into eighth grade year and during this whole time, like as a kid, I had excelled in sports, right? I've always okay. been, I would always been. So you were in, still involved in. Yeah. And I was, I, and I, I, you know, I think I got that, uh, like approval, sense yeah. of approval from sports. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. What did you play? Everything. I played soccer. I played football. I played baseball and the, uh, you know, like the local sheriffs were like my Pop Warner football coaches. So there was always like this, I was always tied to, they knew who I was from a very young age, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and I, I sought that approval. And, um, and so by that time, I, I was still partying, but I was also still kind of like participating in life, you know? Yeah. Um, and then it, towards the end of my, my eighth grade year, so I grew up riding dirt bikes, grew up around, you know, uh, grew up around horses. And uh, I had just, just sold one of my other dirt bikes and my mom was like, hey, you know, I know you've been going through like hard time. What do you, but there's a, somebody at my work is selling another dirt bike. They're down in Paris, California. Mm-hmm. Let's go take a look at it, right? And if you like it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it for you. And I was like, okay, like, okay, <laughs> let's go do this. Yeah, right. So this was like three or four days before the end of school. And we went down. In eighth grade. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't think anything like, hey, why are we going down here on a on a week school day, you know? <laughs> right, and right. We're, we're not exactly, like, you tell us something we want, we we don't see obstacles. No. Yeah. So we get down to, like, this ranch in uh, in Paris, and she said, she goes, oh, yeah, it's in, like, a rural, it's like a ranch, you know? So we get down to, like, this ranch, and uh, she pulls, she, and my stepdad, my now stepdad is in the car, and we pull up, and they go, all right, let's go, let's go find it, let's go get it. And um, so I get out, and three men, like, big guys approach me, and, uh, and this one guy, his name was Pastor Jerry, and he's like, "Hi, I'm so you know I'm I'm so and so. You're going to our Mexico facility for two months uh, for troubled youth." And during this interaction, like basically, my there was a, a bag in the trunk. My stepdad got out, put it on the ground. My parents got in the car, and they drove away. And they were like, "Yeah, you're you're coming with us." And uh, what went through your mind? 
well, to run. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's a big air, it's a big open space. You're not going anywhere. Right. There's three guys who are way bigger. Mm-hmm. This is the type of place that's run by people straight out of prison, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they put me in this van, and it was like a old Econoline van, white van. It had the sliding door on the one side. Mm-hmm. The two guys got in the front, and then they put me, so there's the middle row. They put me all the way in against the other wall. The other guy sat next to me, closed the door, and there was like a, I remember there was a white, like, coil of rope on the ground. And they said, if you try to move, you try to get out of here, we're going to tie you up. And so I knew. I was like, well, this is it, right? Yeah, yeah. Dad's out, of, dad's out of my life. My mom just took off. Like, I'm flying solo. You yeah. Know? This is, yeah. okay. It is it is this one of the scariest feelings. And, like, I remember, like, two big guys coming in to get me. And then there was one woman. And, uh, you know, like, quickly thinking, like, what are my exit options? Like, what are my options? Yeah. Right? Like, how do I get it? Like, and then you get to a point where you're like, there's no way out of this. Like, yeah. there's, I have to wait. Like, I have to let them take me before I can even figure anything out. But it is your situation. Like, I think I knew about this happening to kids. Yeah. So, like, I kind of, I knew what was happening when it happened. Like, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being taken to one of those places in Utah. Like, I knew what was happening. But you probably didn't know a lot of people this was happening to, right? No. Right. So, like, that is, so you have no idea. You're like, I don't know who my, like, I'm, this is... I don't know where I'm going. And you're going to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. I'm being, so you're terrified. I'm, I'm being kidnapped right now. Yeah. And uh, so we went across the border. We got to this town. It's called like El Zarillo or Zarillo. It's, it's down by Rosarito in yeah. Ensenada. And then you pull off on this dirt road and it's another like 10 miles down yeah, to yeah. the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, pull up to this, this, this farm ranch looking place. And it's got three like individual houses on it. And there's no windows. There's no, there's no doors on any of the places. Um, there's no running water, no electricity, no gas, nothing. You know, there's no amenities. You're basically camping under a roof, you know. And uh, and it was like, uh, it was run by Calvary Chapel. And this place, you know, as you're pulling up, you see this huge sign that says, you turn for Christ, right? And they were basically like, hey, this is where you're going to stay. And they, it's a place where they try to break you. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, that's where I went to. There's like, super, you know, severely, very like labor intensive work. And then they're, you're, you know, you wake, they take your shoes at night. Yep. They shaved everybody's head, so you stand out. Did they like? They didn't shave my head. Did they make you like count in the bathroom, or like you only had like certain amount of minutes and like? No, it wasn't like that. There was really nowhere to go. But like, right, right, right. So they they didn't. Yeah, and I like, and I didn't even. It occurred to me after I left that place. Like, they, I mean, obviously, they t- took our shoes at night because they didn't yeah. want anyone. Yeah, running. yeah. Um, and, but I'm like, why would they take like our belts? You know, and they didn't want anyone hanging themselves. Right. You know, there was no there was no running water in the place. So how does that work with no running water? I mean, I understand that people live like that. But so there was like <laughs> they would get a delivery of like potable water. You know, that yeah, yeah. you would have to boil. Um, yeah. But for like baths and stuff for for bathing, there was a well on the property that you literally lowered a bucket into, and there would be times where like there would be like dead mice floating in there. And you'd have to go in there, you'd have to lower your bucket in and then put it on a fire, warm it up. And like, that's how you, that's how you bathe. And then what about going to the bathroom? There was an outhouse, you know. Just and how many, how many kids were there? And were they all boys? All boys. I was the youngest there. So I was 14 at the time. Uh, and mo- majority of them were like 16, 17. Yeah, yeah. And were they all from SoCal or? All over. All over. All over. I, I really think this is one of those places they put a really good webpage up. Yeah. And they said, we're going to save your kid. You yeah. know, and I, my mom got into it, you know. 
she was like, this is what my kid needs. They're, they're a religious-based organization. Right, right, right. This would be awesome for my son. Right. They're camping. They're learning skills. That's what they portrayed as. Right, yeah. right, right. And um, so you show up, and what did the other kids tell you? How, have, have people really only been there two months? Like, what's the— No, there was, like, kids who were there for months. Were like, my, I'm not leaving here until I'm 18. You know, their parents would just send, keep sending checks. And they're like, yeah, just keep my kid. We don't want him back anymore. And it was just, I mean, in all fairness, these kids were doing all the same things I was doing. And then I definitely learned how to do more things while I was there. You know, there was like, hey, have you ever learned how to huff this or huff this? I'm like, no, what do you, what does that even mean? You know? Yeah. But it was another way of getting high. Were they kind to you? Yeah. I never gotten into like the, as far as the kids or the people, the, the people no, running the, the kids, place. the kids. Oh yeah. I never got into the altercations yeah, with any of them. Yeah. There was sort of like the place that I went, which was not rustic, it, but they pit us against each other. Yeah. And so, like, if you told, like, if you you would move up and get more privileges if you outed someone for doing something. Oh, right. And so and I went I went to a couple different places, and some it was, like, there was this, like, we're going through this together, this bond of, like, where the fuck are we? Yeah. And then at the other place, it was, like, they made it so they wanted, they didn't want people, like, they didn't want the the residents to band together, right? Right. So they would pit you. They would reward you for outing people doing anything. Yeah. No, there was like a. I I mean, I think I just kind of learned to like keep like a low profile. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just kind of fall in line. Yep. Until I could find my way out. And how were what were the people that were like the pastors and like what was what was their what did you do during the day? What was what was the way that they were trying to change your life? So it was like so up at five a.m. You know, and you're up. You got to read. I, I want to say it was Proverbs. You got to read Book of Proverbs every day, every morning. They do like this uh, church service type of thing every day, and uh, and then you go out on a work crew. You know, you, they would serve like I mean, it was like beans and rice, garbage food every day. You know, that had been donated, and uh, and I mean, like the flies were just, I just, I got, I got, it was just, it's disgusting. I got used to like having flies all over my food while I was eating. It was yeah. a gross place. And uh, so you go out on a work crew and it was like, um, a lot of it was like working for orphanages, um, building walls, like the cinder block walls, mm -hmm. concrete stuff, you know, uh, a lot of woodworking stuff, you know, construction work. Did you learn skills? Oh yeah. 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 I definitely like learned, learned. How to build stuff. How to build stuff. I mean, I've been taking stuff apart since I was a kid. Right, right, know? right. Um, but my, uh, so it was, and it was hard, hard work. You know, they work it out of you. You're like limited supply of food and water all day. Mm -hmm. And then you come back Limited in. water? Yeah, you'd get like a bottle of water a day. That's it. Middle of summer. Yeah. I mean, Like that you was, couldn't get more water? No. No, it was like whatever you, they, you got when you were out during the day. Yeah, that's what and I And I think part of that was like, you, you're not leaving. We're not going to give you enough uh, that you could take with you. We're like, if you want something, we are in complete control. Right, right, right. So, and it was just kind of like. I was like, you know what, I could do this for two months. And uh, one of the guys, one of the guys was leaving, and uh, I wrote, a, I wrote a note, and I said, hey, he was kind of like in a couple towns over where I lived. It just happened to work, work mm -hmm. out that way. I gave him a letter, and I said, hey, mail this, mail this to this address, right? Don't know if he was ever going to do it or not. Just hey, yeah, yeah. give it a shot. And uh, and then like a couple of weeks went by, and I had came back from a, a work crew, mm -hmm. and they were like, hey, uh, your your uncle Jim came by. He was down here fishing, and his, you know, your mom told him where you were, and he just wanted to come down and see how you're doing. And I was thinking, my my uncle Jim died two years ago, he drank himself to death. Right. And, uh, and I'm like, well, what was he driving? They're like, oh, a white truck. And I, so I immediately knew it was my dad. And so, sure enough, you know, Uncle Jim shows up two hours later, like around dinner time, and he's like, what is this place? You know, I can't believe, can't believe you're here. This place is a, a yeah, you know, what it is. And uh, 
he gave me like a little watch, not 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 even with the band, just a, a watch yeah. with a time. And he was like, "Hey." And the driveway was about a quarter mile long to a dirt road. Okay. And uh, and, and at, did they let you alone with him? Uh, I mean, we like were kind of like when he handed you the thing, like because. So I think by him showing up, no, yeah, we were kind of in a group setting, and it was yeah. totally secretive, you know. Right. But when, by him showing up, so they were like every other week, every other weekend, they would have like visiting, right? Oh, okay. And during this time, like a couple of days prior to that, they would hide the holes in the back. Uh-huh. They would like yep. put as much lipstick on this pig as they could. Right. You know? So by him showing up and actually see what was really going on, they were kind of like on their on their heels. Oh, uh, okay. I could just feel it from like the, the energy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gave me this watch and he goes, uh, at 11 o'clock, you know, when it's at 11 o'clock, you see headlights, he goes, you start running towards that road. And uh, and at nighttime, so there's the one, two, and three house. Okay. And the, at the two house, the, there was always two guys at night. There was always two of like the employee workers, whatever you want to call them, volunteers. <laughs> prison guards. Prison guards looking for runners, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I just remember like I was like full of adrenaline. Oh, oh like, I can't even imagine. All I got to do is make it to that road. So how did you, because there's no windows, there's no, like how did you, what's the sleeping arrangement that allowed you to get out of the house? Because getting out of the house. I mean, it's just bunks. It's just bunks, but are there doors? Oh, like? no, there's no doors. Oh, and you know what, what I forgot to So talk it doesn't about. close. There's no, like, it's literally just a... Yeah, it's open. Structure. Just, okay, it's open. Yeah, it's just okay. a door jam. And what I forgot to mention was, so after about a month of being there, I had kind of got the time schedule down, uh, and I had realized, like, hey, there's, uh, I think it was on Sundays, we would go into Ensenada to, like, a real church service, right, and show, so they could get, show their face and be like, oh, look how good we're treating these children, you know? And so on a... While this was all going on, you have like 10, 15 minutes of commotion. And I'm like, this is my chance. I'm taking off. And we were like 15 miles from Ensenada. And I did. I went through the, ran through the, I ran through the, there was like a wash, ran up the wash, ran through the, ran through the back of the hills. And I was just running up the direction any, I knew to go and to. And was anyone behind you? Another guy got out with me. Yeah. No, oh, another no. kid. Another kid. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, but not, not. They guys. didn't know we were gone. Okay. No. Okay. And, uh, so we made it, we made it all the way to Ensenada. And, uh, then we started, we. Wait, wait. Stop. So this is not, this is before. This, this is, is before my dad. Okay. This is before your dad. Okay. So this yeah. is a different, okay. So we, we're, we're going back. backing up a little. I we're back. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So you had an escape attempt before dad. So let's do yes. that. Yeah. And so because of like our. So you ran to Ensenada with yeah. another kid. Yep. And so, and because of like our quote charitable work to right, like right, the right. local community. Right. And in turn, law enforcement was like on their side. So we were coming up, there's like a main road going into town and I saw the guy Jack, the like, director of the place, I saw his car going back and forth. The, direct, the director of the Calvary. Of the, yeah, of the, of the, the Mexico lock. facility. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, I saw his car, and I like remember like dropping to the ground, and we oh. were in like the bushes, and I dropped into the, these bushes, and I'm like, what the? What's that smell? And there was literally like a dog that had been abandoned, like rotting out next to me, and I was like, I can't be here. And I like got up and just started booking it. And behind him was like four or five cars in a van of the federalities, like local police. Oh my God. And uh, they all went lights and sirens. The other kids stopped. I started booking it and just like running through little, like little towns, little yeah, yeah, side yeah. roads. And, uh, and they caught me at full gunpoint. You know, these guys, they look like military. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah, federalities. Put me in the back of the van and, uh, and then they took me to jail in Ensenada. And they left me there for like two and a half days. And the, the whole time I was in the jail, this is like not. U.S. jail, right? It's a concrete room with a hole in the ground is basically what it is. So everybody goes to the bathroom in the hole in the ground? Yeah. Yeah, that's all it is. It's just a concrete, like, seat with a hole in it. And, and how many people are in the... It, well, the one I was in, it was just, like, drunks. 
right? They would bring a guy in. He would be in there for like a couple hours, and they would take him out. It was just like a drunk tank. Okay, but the, you were a kid. They put you in with the adults. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There is no, there is no juvenile hall. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And uh, and the whole time I was there, they were asking me, call, tell me to call my family for money. They were like, call your parents, and I'm like, look, the best I could communicate, right, was yeah. like, dad's not coming, and uh, and mom left me. Like, yeah. you guys aren't gonna get anything. From yeah, anybody. yeah, yeah. I'm not worth anything. And uh, so, uh, like two and a half, two and a half days, I think I was there. They, they uh, gave up. No, the director showed up, the guy Jack, and they released me to him. And uh, so he brought me back. And there was a, and I had known about the punishments, right? And the punishment that I got was I had to dig a ten by ten by ten hole in the ground, like mm-hmm. back down in that wash, the riverbed. Yeah. I was supposed to dig a hole, and it's like a grave. Yeah, basically, you dig this hole. Yeah. And it's like rock. It's not like oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then fill it back in, right? That was supposed to be my punishment. I was like, I'm not doing that. And they were like, Well, we're not going to give you any food or water until you dig that hole and so i dug down about four feet i dug four or five feet into down straight down and i dug out like a little cove right and i stayed in there for like another two days um, without food or water yeah they didn't give me food or water that whole time and this is like middle of july so by the time i came out of that that hole from my edge of my shoulders to my collarbone on both my shoulders and my ear like my ears was a was blistered uh, my ears were completely scabbed up from the sun from the sun i was completely sunburned my nose was completely sunburned and I, you know, what I did after, and they were finally like, this kid's going to die out here. So they did pull me out of the hole. <laughs> Called their bluff. And after that, like, I was just like, all right, you know, I'm halfway through. I'm just going to do this. So then a couple weeks later, that's when my dad showed up. Okay, okay. So dad shows up. You, it, he says, run out when you see the headlights, 11 o'clock. Yeah, 11 o'clock. Okay. So that's what I did. I mean, I was full speed, Oof, full I speed down this, uh, down this dirt, long dirt driveway. And it's like the long, quarter mile is not I mean, that long. I couldn't even breathe, like laying down, going to bed. You're just like. Oh, no, I couldn't. Oh. And I was like, all I got to do is get to the road. You know, like it's right. no longer me right. against Tunnel vision. these guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, f- I got some backup finally. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, so we get out there and we get to the road. And the guys are behind me. They're probably 15, 20 feet. Okay, so that's they're, what, they're on my tail. They're running. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so you went by yourself, or someone else came with you? No, just me. Just you. Okay, so you run out. Yeah, I didn't say anything to anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was I was running out, and we get all the way to the road, and my dad gets out of the truck, and these guys are like yeah, 15, 20 feet behind me, and my dad lifts his waistband, pulls a gun out, and points it at these two guys, and says, "If any of you guys, basically, if any of you guys get on to get any closer, you guys aren't going to live to see tomorrow." Why didn't he just? <laughs> book the truck like they're on foot you're in a truck why not just keep going I, well where so how this road is it's a one one lane road right yeah. you have a hill on one side and then a fence line on the other okay you have the driveway and there's like i mean it's not just hey keep going straight into the middle of nowhere okay. um like we had to turn around there was like and i've come to find out once we got back to the border my dad was completely drunk and he'd been he'd been high on meth for a few <laughs> days so lucky you not, actually yeah not only was his behavior like it was how he is when he gets loaded yeah and then sprinkle some meth on that yeah yeah, you yeah. Know? so it yeah. was like a little serious that's some gangster shit. Um, okay so he said he pulls a gun and is and they stop like, oh yeah dead in their tracks yeah and they're like hey we don't want any trouble and he's like well then we're leaving Turn around yeah we're le- yeah and my adrenaline was pumping at the time oh i bet you, you were know? so excited um, yeah it's just coolest thing I've ever seen <laughs> And, uh, I mean, not only not only was it like, like an extreme situation, dad, yeah, but it was like that feeling of like I got you guys, like yeah, I'm in charge now, yeah, you know. And so we we end up turning around. Those guys those guys left. I think this is when Jack came out. Jack hadn't come out yet. So when we turned around, we we're on this like janky road, yeah. And while we were turning around, 
the ass in, like my, the rear axle went down in this ditch and got his oh, truck stuck. No. And I'm just like, oh no, like this is it. Oh, they've already no. called, I'm sure they've got a hold of the, the law enforcement. Oh no. And the, so one of the, one of the orphanages that we used to do work for was like two miles down the road. And I'm like, oh, well, hey, I think I, I know where to get some help, right? So we walked all the way to the You had time to do this? They, we were like, so this mile, the road that goes into the yeah. place is probably 15 miles long. Oh, okay. okay. So we were already probably three or four miles okay, down okay. the road. Okay, okay. Um, they couldn't see. They were yeah. probably back at the ranch trying to figure out what, what we're going to do. Gonna do. Yeah. This kid just got out of here, right? Yeah. And uh, so we walked like two miles to the uh, orphanage, and I don't remember the guy's name. And I'm like, hey, I'm here. Jack sent me over here. And my dad was with me that this guy had never seen. And I don't know why he didn't ask any questions. I'm like, hey, Jack sent me down Let's here. Go. This guy got his truck stuck. You think you could help? He, I knew they had a big van, right? I'm like, hey, you think you could help tow us out? And he was like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, and my dad speaks fluent Spanish, uh, being a painter for all those years, like he yeah, learned yeah. language. And uh, so we go down and they tow us out. And as he's towing us out, the guy Jack and those two guys show back up. And he, they were talking in Spanish to each other. Hey, don't you help these people? This is so. And that's when the gun came out again. And the guy was basically put in a position where you're pulling the truck out or all of you guys are walking away and um, pulled us out. And then we drove all the way. So at gun- he pulled us, you out at gunpoint. Yeah, there was like no option. Like we're either taking your van or you're pulling the truck out. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I, I'm getting like excited talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so we drove all the way back to the border and um, we found like there was like the, the first uh, – Fast food place, where it was. Yeah. And we slept. We got back to the, the border in the, early in the morning. It was like sun was just coming up. Yeah. And we both slept. We slept till like 3 in the afternoon yeah. in the truck. He probably needed a nap for sure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I was just exhausted. You get a drilling spike like oh, that. Yeah, and those living conditions, oh, like yeah. I was done. And um, Yeah, I mean, it's amazing you were able to like, yeah, adrenaline is an amazing, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. So you stopped before the border? Like you. you no, s- no. No, we oh, as soon as we got across the border. Oh, across the border. Okay. Yeah, I was back like, we were in like San Diego. Me? Okay, okay. No. Yeah, and yeah. uh yeah, and then from there we went to uh my grandpa's house. And by this time, so come to find out, mom wasn't even home. Mom was out of town, like on vacation. And my dad's like alcoholism had progressed to where he was full tweaker, full alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gnarly, you know, gnarly lifestyle. Yeah. And so like that's what I had to go back to. And my attitude, so and that, that So you were how old you're so I was 14. 14. Yeah. Yeah. And so that experience that Mexico experience, not only was I like, so I grew up in a religious home, right? I do, uh, like, there's definitely, I agree with a lot of um, organize, the moral structure of organized mm-hmm. religion, yeah, yeah. right? Definitely makes it, I had, it had a big effect on me. But my, my feeling towards God when I got out of that place oh. was there was no God, right? And this God that was shoved down my throat there, if that's the God that treats people like this, then I don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah. And I was... The anger was more than ever. Oh, gosh. Um, the, that, like, sense of abandonment oh, I can't even from imagine. being dropped down there. And and you must have like it's what's interesting is that you had this break and dad was out of your life and mom was the like savior parent. Yeah. And then mom does this and now dad's the savior parent, even as dysfunctional as he is, like he's the one that showed up. Yeah. And you know, he was in a serious way. Yeah, and I'm sure some of that was like obviously vengeful towards my mom as far as custody goes. Sure. You know, like that was the motivation. Sure. Um, but but at the end of the day, he showed up at and held people at gunpoint to get you out of Mexico. Yeah. And I, you know. Yeah. That had to have had an effect. Yeah. It was uh, it was a crazy experience, and um, so I lived with I lived with my dad and his girlfriend his girlfriend at the time for pro- I made it like a, a month, right? Mm-hmm. And it was it was 
it was good and bad for me. It was cool in a way that I could do whatever I want, right? I could get loaded. I could do anything I wanted to do. But at the same part, like the same time, it was like, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be here. And, um, and so did mom know you were back? Yeah, she had ended up found it because so my, my house, the house at the time, my mom's house had an alarm on it and I needed stuff and I knew she was gone. And so I broke into the house, the alarm went off. I got my stuff out and I left, but I'm pretty sure one of the neighbors told her, yeah, was, yeah we saw, you yeah. know, we saw your son was back. And, um, somehow I don't even remember how it happened. Uh, how I got in contact with, I had, so my, she was a, a seventh grade, my seventh grade math and science teacher. Awesome lady. You know what I mean? She's like one of those like people I, like she was an angel put in my life, yeah, yeah. you know? And, um, I got, somehow got a hold of her and she offered to take me in. You know, she was like, you can come live with me. You got rules. And, uh, but you can come stay with me, you know? And for whatever reason, I had just had like a ton of respect for this woman. And I was willing to be like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll walk the line in your house. You know, as long as I'm at your house, I'll walk the line. And, um, I shared a room with her son and, uh, and then her daughter lived there as well. And there was like a little bit of like stability. Like she was like, I could talk to this woman, right? Yeah. She knew I was angry. She knew the stuff I was up to and the people I was hanging out with. Right. And she like, I never felt like judged by it. You know, mm-hmm. she like was able to like give me a suggestion or, and be stern about it. Like say things like, what are you doing? Like, what the hell's wrong with you? You yeah. know, not in a bad, not in a negative yeah. way, but like. But like, why, why do you, why are you going down this yeah. But I mean, she, what did she think of the Mexico thing? Oh, I'm sh- like, it's insane. Yeah. You know? And I don't know what went on behind when I wasn't around. Like if something, she, something was ever said to my parents or whatever. Yeah. yeah. She put herself in a position where she's a female teacher taking in a, oh, a yeah. 14-year-old boy. Oh, yeah. You know? It's so definite. she stuck her neck out, neck yeah, out for me. she did. And she put you in with her son. Yeah. And I shared a room with her son, who was four years my senior and uh, and we just hit it off, you know, and it was like a, it made a huge impact in my life. Like that yeah. woman, that woman made a huge impact. Are you still in touch with her? No, um, I burned that to the ground. And that's like actually like one of those things I struggle with still. Like I definitely owe that owe that woman amends. And I don't know why in like sobriety I haven't been able to like to fall th- pull pull through with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's definitely on my mind all, a lot. Yeah. Do you know um, where she is? No, but I mean, in yeah, today's maybe. age, I could probably find her. Yeah. You know. That's like one of the burdens I still carry in sobriety. And I'm sure, and here's what I know. As soon as I, all I have to do is pick up that phone, right? Yeah. And I'm, I know this woman would. What's the fear? I don't know. You know what? There's still like, still part of me that's like, uh, because of like how that relationship ended, you know, and some of what happened, some of the things I did, you know, that it's like not, des- I'm not deserving of that. I'm not right. deserving of that forgiveness, you know? Like the forgiveness would almost be a burden too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you'd rather be like you're used to being the bad guy right yeah like like there's part of me that's that's still a sense of comfort you know what I mean right like that's a role you know how to be yeah and what happened in that relationship so I lived with her for like a year year and a half so was I like 16 and you were in school oh yeah yeah Yeah, playing playing school playing sports and I did it the best you know I did as much as I could get away with you know like I I was like I was a star football player so it was uh, all my all my teachers were my coaches, mm-hmm. and I could I could not do I would never do my homework I would never do any reports I could sit in class pay attention and get an A on the test right just enough to get so I could maintain the GPA to play ball and uh, and they would you know they would be like well why didn't you do the report and I'm like because I don't want to right I'm not going to it cuts into my I'm already like trying to sneak 
this lady had a pretty tight grasp on my getting loaded behavior, right? Yeah. So it was like, I'm already trying to, all my extra energy is working, I'm getting loaded. Right, right, right. And uh, so after like a year and a half of living with her, and this was probably what it was, it was probably, I just wanted to get loaded. Like I couldn't do it anymore, right? Yeah. And so this was 10th grade. Uh, and I, my, by this time, my mom had moved down to Orange County. And your parent, your mom wasn't trying to get you back? No. I okay. was like, I'm not going back. Yeah. Oh, you know what? So she, w- I was still up in the desert. She hadn't sold the house yet. So I moved back into that, my house I grew up in. Um, and I get started getting in trouble again. I started getting loaded again all the time. And, uh, and I got arrested up here. Uh, I got put sent to juvenile, I got arrested up there. I got sent to juvenile hall and got put on like formal probation. That was like my first experience with formal probation. And, um. And so I lived at the house. I was on house arrest. And here's the crazy thing. Like, when I first got out of jail or juvenile hall, I was like a, a flight risk, you know? Yeah. And they didn't put a ankle ankle bracelet on me, but my probation officer would show up like five, six times a day. And I, re- I remember multiple times I would wait. I couldn't, like, could not wait long enough. Or, you know, my probation officer would show up, do the check-in. Uh, she would leave, and I would go straight to the liquor store. And I would buy as much alcohol as I could. And... uh just because I needed, I needed to yeah. get drunk. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just so, my, my, when my mom sold the house and moved to Orange County, they transferred um, my probation to Orange County. Oh, okay. And so, and along with that, because I was like such a high risk for whatever reason up there, they put me on like a high probation down here. Uh, but the probation officer they gave me was like, hey, I don't really, they didn't give me anything, any of the files or anything. You do you drink or do drugs or anything? And I was like, no, no, I just, I did something. I got in trouble. He's like, all right. So they didn't drug test me. Uh, they never, yeah, they never drug test me. And I had to go to this school that was like a county, it was like into the line school, right? I was like 130 kids there. The al- an alternative school? Yeah, it was an alternative school. Yeah. Uh, where like you get escorted yep. to the bathroom. Oh, no, don't know that one. Yeah, sheriffs would show up and be like, hey, oh, we're yeah. looking for so-and-so today. You know? Oh, okay. And so I kind of had, uh, I was able to like hold it together for just long enough to where uh, I turned 18. And once I turned 18 down here, you know what, let me... Back up a little bit. So I was living down in Orange County, and every weekend I was still driving up to the desert, right? Okay. Um, I still had a gr- my, my girlfriend up there. I was working for her dad on the weekends. like So I was making money yeah. uh, and able to, like, support my uh, drinking and using. And uh, But there was, like, a particular time where I would go up there, and I would, like, sleep in my truck, you know? I would just yeah. go up there and sleep in my truck if I had nowhere to go. I was just going up there to a party. Yeah. And I was uh, – I had passed out the night before, and I was, like, in a dirt lot sleeping in my truck – Behind a Circle K. And this was like the first time that I had woke. By this time, I was able to like somewhat control mm-hmm. when I alcohol, okay. ingested alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, re- I still remember clear as day. I woke up behind the Circle K and it was like sun was just coming up. Just super hungover, you know, like that, like mm. disgusting feeling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, something inside me was like, I need to drink now. Like that, that switch had been flipped. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. went from cucumber to pickle. Yeah. That moment. Yeah. Um, and from that day on, even though I had always been like a, I would say like a daily drinker, I always felt like Some, I could stop, Yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. I knew that morning, I knew there was no way to turn this thing off. Yeah. That feeling is so, I was actually talking to someone about that this morning about how like I was put in treatment, like outpatient programs and treatment before I had ever tried to stop. Yeah. And so they're trying to tell me I have a problem, blah, 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 but I never tried to stop. So I assumed that since I had never had since I had never tried to stop, I had no reason or belief that I needed to. I assumed that I could. Yeah. And I remember the first time where I tried to stop. I first tried to stop using on a, on a because someone my boyfriend challenged me, and I remember like, oh, I can't. 
Like I remember trying and failing. Yeah. And going, oh, like that, like, oh, it's not like we're not, we've crossed the line. Yeah. And I, and it is like, it's a feeling, it's a switch where you're, you, you realize like, I'm not in control of this thing. Yeah. But you have to, I don't know, you, you have like, I think that's an important realization to have in order for you to end up getting sober at some point. Yeah. That, to have that feeling. Like it's, I think it would be very hard to get sober if you didn't really understand that you were no longer in charge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I tried that for a long time and just wasn't. Yeah. It's just not like if, if you have any semblance that you can manage it, yeah. you're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> so you did you, so you went, bought alcohol at the Circle K, I take it. Yeah, and it was just on from there. Like, you know, after like the the Mexico experience and all the other stuff I was guys I was hanging out with at the time, uh just like I had went from like hanging out with the jock crowd, right? Yeah. Guys yeah. who were like good kids. Yeah. You know, they still drink beers or whatever. But yeah, yeah. We're yeah. doing life. Yeah. To like trailer park lifestyle. You yeah. know, just like the guys who were who had affiliations with organizations that don't deserve to be named and um bad guys, you know, real bad guys. Yeah. And uh and I was just like sought lower companions and I, and I had like, I had a, a, a belief, like I had nothing to live for, right? I had nothing to lose. And uh, I did not care if I woke up yeah. every day. I did yeah. not care what would happen to me. Physical alter- altercation. There was nothing anyone could do to me physically that came close to how I felt emotionally. Yeah. Right. And when I did like I'd get my nose broke or black eye or whatever, there was a part of me was like, that's what you get. You know, like that's, that's what you deserve. And, uh, and it felt like that pain, that, that physical pain was almost like a sense of relief, you know, Mm -hmm. because it distracted from the internal pain. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like I could feel it, I could see it and it like, I could push on it and I could touch it and make it, you know, make the pain increase, decrease. And it was just like better than how I felt inside. And I wrote, I mean, I lived like that for the next few years. I, when I turned 18, when I turned 18, my solution to like, solving my life. It had nothing to do with drugs or alcohol at that time. Right. Yeah. I would have looked at you dead in the eyes and said, Nope, there's nothing yeah. I can stop whenever I want. Even yeah. though I to kinda knew I couldn't. But my solution was to go into the military. And I was like, that's what I need. I need the structure. Right, right. We had just gone into Iraq like a couple of years prior. Um I'm like I can go overseas, right? I could serve my country. My grandfather was in the the mm-hmm. military. Mm-hmm. That's what I need. You know, so I went down to the recruiter, uh to, I signed all the paperwork. Went down to MEPS in LA, did the ASVAB, did really well on the test. And uh, at this which branch? I was going into I was gonna go into the Marines. Okay. Now at this time there was like a tattoo policy where mm. I have too many tattoos. And some of the tattoos I used to have were like, you're not really wanting to show those in public. You totally. Know? Yeah. And uh, so the Marines was like, Hey, look, you have too many tattoos, but good good news is the army will take you. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, so this abandonment comes up again. Right. Right. Like I'm not good enough. I'm not even good enough to go to I, war. And, uh, right. Right. But the army will take me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pro military 100%. Yeah. But it was like, it, but it you was could what go you to wanted. the B team. Right. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and part of me was still like, okay, you know what? Like I want to serve my country. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And they're like, okay, signed. You know, I did all everything I needed to do. And they're like, well, we're just going to need you to drug test. And I'm like, well, I'm, I, I smoke a little weed here and there, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, yeah, well, here's what we'll do. We'll test you, and then we'll test you again. And I go, yeah, it's been a while. I'll probably be all right. And they, they, I had to do the P test. The whole thing lit up across the board. and uh, Of other drugs, too. Oh, other drugs. Oh. And he was like, he goes, hey, the whole thing is uh, lighting up, right? And uh, 
And I was like, well, what's showing up? Because I was kind of curious. I'm like, I didn't even do some of those drugs, right? Well, that's, yeah, yeah. And uh, at least not that day. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, hey, there's something wrong with your test. We got to do another one. He goes, well, I can go get another one. I go, wait, you know what? Let's wait a couple days. Uh, I go, okay, I'll come back in like a week. So I was like, this will give me enough time to like clean out my system. I wasn't smoking that much weed at the time. It was just meth and alcohol. You know, <laughs> meth like allowed me to drink how I wanted to yes, drink. I could yes. stay up as long as I wanted. Yep. And Yep. Do as much weird stuff as I wanted to yep. do, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, and so I came back, and I had already had the bag in my truck, and I came back on the day I was supposed to drug test, and I had been clean for like four days, right? And it was like oh. the hardest thing I'd ever done yeah, in my life. Yeah. And uh, and I got up to the parking lot, oh, and no. I was like, you know what? I go, all I got to do is get in there and pee, right? So if I take like right now. a couple hits right now, there's no way it could get into my system. Oh, no. You bring uh, genius idea, right? Like brilliant. And uh, I mean, I get, I completely follow the logic. Yeah, and so sure enough, I went in there and I failed the drug test and uh, with meth. Meth, yeah, it was meth only. And and I looked, I looked like a tweaker. You know, I was right. by this time I was like 170 pounds. Right. Just completely sucked up, 28 inch waist. Like I was a skinny guy. Wow. And um, and he gave it was like that. I've had that look a lot of times yeah, of like, like you're a piece, you know. And that's what this guy. I was like, hey, look, you don't understand. Like, they told me, we don't want, we don't want guys like you. We don't want guys like you in our service. And I go, look, you don't understand. Like, just let me in, and this is going to fix my life. It's going to change my life. He's like, no, don't come back. And that was it. Like, that was my last hope, right? Like, that was my last shot of fixing my life. I knew for some reason, I just knew like I was going to live the rest of my life this way until I die, whether it be tomorrow or in a couple weeks. You know, I just didn't, I didn't care anymore after that. Yeah. And how old were you when you got turned down? That was 18. I was 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. And so I did. I just lived, I lived that, you know, tweaker alcoholic lifestyle, burning every, every relationship I've ever had, letting anyone in my life know that they were number two to alcohol. Mm -hmm. It always, for me, it always started and ended with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. But I couldn't, I could not have a drink without getting meth. Like yeah. that's just, as soon as I took that drink, it was like, okay, I got to go get some dope, you know? Yeah. And then what happened was I started getting, uh, I started getting arrested. I couldn't live at my mom's house anymore. She had thrown me out. Uh, I was living in my truck, and I kept getting arrested, right? I kept getting busted for possession. Right, right. So I had been arrested, like, for the third time in, like, that month. And I was standing in front of uh, Judge Anderson at the Orange County Court. And this guy is, like, another one of those people I was placed in my life. You know, I yeah. feel like there were certain people along this path. Yeah. That God has put in my life. Yeah. And this guy was one of them. Yeah. And it was nothing that, like, he really did or didn't do he basically just kind of was straightforward with me and for whatever reason i respect that you know and he was like mr McAllister, this is the third time i've seen you in my courtroom uninvited you know uh this month and he goes you're either gonna go you can i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you the option he goes you can go into a treatment program like a dr drug diversion program or you can go to prison i think he said it was like three years eight months he goes or you can go to prison for three years four years and uh i'm like well that's an easy yeah yeah easy choice i'll take the treatment and um, and so I did. I went to a treatment center in Orange County. They put me on, surprisingly, a very low-level drug diversion program. Mm. And because I went to the treatment center, I didn't have a PO. I didn't have to show up. I just couldn't get in any more trouble. Yeah. And so I, that was, that's when I was introduced to Orange County AA, right? And I managed to stay sober for 88 days before I started getting loaded. I, I would show up. I didn't do any of the work. You know, I didn't do any of the – didn't get a sponsor. Work, yeah. I wasn't willing to be honest with anybody, you know, at that time, I felt like if I was honest with you, you could use it against me, mm. you know? Um, there's no way I'm going to be vulnerable with another man. Yeah, um, yeah. 
man or woman. You know what I mean? It was a lot easier to just make stories up to get through life than it was to be honest with somebody. Yeah. And during this time, I met my now wife, you know? Right. Uh, oh, you met, so that was when you were in treatment? I just got out of treatment, yeah. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Ashley, your beloved host. When I'm not hosting The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast, I'm running the recruiting department at Lion Rock Recovery. We are always looking for amazing licensed mental health counselors, along with various other sales and operations positions that pop up from time to time. The Lion Rock culture is one of collaboration, support, and flexibility. Our employees work from home offices all over the country, utilizing technology to connect to one another. We are always hiring. So if you want to have the best job ever, check out our open positions and apply at www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash about backslash careers. And so when we talk about like honesty, like what's some of the stuff that like, you don't have to tell your deepest, darkest secrets, but like what's some of the stuff for people like, I feel like a lot of people don't know that they're not being honest. Yeah. And particularly with men who grew up the way you do, where it's like there is a lot of like be a man. Yeah. You know, like there's there's definitely a culture there. So like um, it was easier to make up stories than to tell the truth. Absolutely. Right? What was the truth? Yeah. So like I wouldn't – there was a lot of shame that came along with how – I, I felt growing up, you know what I mean? I was just super ashamed of it. I wasn't going to tell you, you know, that like my mom used to have to wake me and my brother up in the middle of the night because she didn't know if my dad was going to kill us, you know, or, or himself. And we'd have to go stay at like, you know, my mom's friend's houses or. Because he was drinking. Yeah, because he was drinking and, and violent. You, and you were ashamed that that happened in your house? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't going to say anything, you know, or there was another time, um, you know, we, we used to go to the river all the time. You know, mm-hmm. we would go to the river every weekend, and uh, there was a time we broke down, and I was like a kid. I was like three, four years old, and I talked to my mom about this probably six or seven months ago. So I'm like, hey, I remember I had this memory of, like, my dad slamming my mom over the hood of the car, right, mm-hmm. just slamming her into the into the car. What was that? Did that happen? And uh, she was like, yeah, and she told me why, and uh, and I just, that was just kind of stuff I was exposed to as a kid. You know, when my dad was drinking, that stuff didn't go on when he was sober. And I was, like, ashamed of that. You know what I mean? That's not how you treat somebody, right? Right. That's not how. You didn't want to be the kid that grew up in that house? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I was, like, embarrassed. So what did you, so what did you say instead? Oh, you know, dad was, like, a, I would say dad was, like, a, you know, painting contractor. Or, like, you know, my mom was just a great mom. Or I wouldn't, right, okay. even, you just wouldn't, even, wouldn't even bring up things like it. Mexico or. Got it. Okay. You know? So those were some of that you just really sugarcoated it. Yeah. And I, I didn't want the sympathy. Right. You know, I didn't want that. Like people, I because that was part of the shame. It was shame, and it like made me feel weak. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It made me when people were like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." Like that made me feel like a weak person. Right. Because because a, because in your head, a strong person, it wouldn't have bothered. Yeah, you just do it. Right. Right. Like it wouldn't have affected you. Yeah, you don't get to whine and complain. You right. Just do it. Right. Like if you're a man, then this shit happens, and you just like that's get the cards through. I was yeah, dealt. Yeah. Like don't don't be. Like wire, like having. I would imagine having feel as a as a man growing up where you grew up as a man having feelings about your childhood would be like super lame. Like yeah, ch- childhood feelings not a thing. Right. Yeah. 
So, okay, so we met. We met at a, at a popular meeting where I actually met my husband. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your wife took me to my first meeting there. And so at that time, you were sober. I was sober, yeah. And you were sober that, that 88 days. When did you get loaded? On the 89th day. On the, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, were you, were you um, seeing Emily when— I was. Yeah. When you got loaded? Yes. Oh, I didn't I oh, I didn't know that. Um, so I missed that. So but like the first few weeks we were hanging out, uh, I was sober. Right. Yeah. Right. But there was no like I said there was no programs. I was just I I just started going to the meetings and uh and it was like I wasn't willing to do any of the work. You know, like yeah. like I said I grew up in AA, a very very low bottom AA and I had that I would see what those guys look like. And then I, I remember coming, I was at the Canyon Club down here, and I, this guy pulls up in like a pink polo shirt and like a bright look at me yellow Ferrari. And he was in the meeting talking about, he knew he had hit bottom when he like had his last million in the bank. And I'm like, these, there's, these people aren't alcoholic. Right. Like there's no way. And if this is what sobriety right. looks like, I want nothing to do with that. Like I'm not wearing it. That's just not my, my right, style. Right, right, right. right. And, uh, and so it, and it, that... I continued to you be. You looked for the differences, not I was, the similarities. Absolutely. Right. And I was like, I can't relate to that. Not only can I not relate to their outsides, but if that's how their outsides look, like, there's no way I'm going to be honest with these people. I'll hang out, right? Yeah, I'll yeah, hang yeah. Out, I'll, yeah. Get some coffee. Right. But I wasn't going to do the work, you know? Yeah. And I still had a huge resentment towards God at the time. You know, they would say, like, the, they would say the Lord's Prayer. And I was like, I'm not into that. Yeah. Like, there's no way yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah. And, uh, and what it did was it got me drunk, you know. I was unable to be honest with people, and I, and I ended up drunk. And how did you make it back from there? Were, were you st- so you were still dating Emily? Yeah. And you got drunk. What happened? Yeah. Well, I was. I started smoking weed, right? And okay. I wasn't drinking around her at the time yet, <laughs> but I was. Is this when she wanted to smoke weed? Yeah. Oh yeah, she came. So we were room. Emily and I were roommates at the time, and she started telling me how she wanted to move somewhere and start to grow weed. Yeah. And I started calling her Farmer Joe. Yeah, yeah. Because because I, I was like, so you want to go be a farmer? Like, yeah. what, what's the like? That was that's interesting. Okay, I didn't re- I didn't remember that piece of it, but yeah, I remember like she started to she had been sober a while, and she started to like talk about that. Yeah, and so and I wanted to leave. I but I was still on probation at that time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't leave the county. And I was like, hey, like, so I was basically in a way, like, I was trapped in Orange County. You know, I couldn't leave. Yeah. And uh, it's just not where I wanted to be. Right. It's completely different than how I, where I grew up. And um, and so, yeah, we were, you know, there was a day that came along where I was, I had moved myself in, right? I'd taken a hostage mm-hmm. and moved myself in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I was, now that I lived there, it was my house, and I was going to smoke weed there. <laughs> right. Right? I hijacked the situation. Right, right. And that lasted, you know, a couple of weeks until eventually she lost her sobriety too, right? Yeah. Which was like a huge weight, still a huge weight for me, right? Yeah. Like I feel like responsible for that, yeah. you know? And she has her own reasons, but regardless, like, I was definitely part of that, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and my wife, um, so I drink how I drink. I drink like I'm on a suicide mission, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't want to go out anywhere. Yeah. I want to get as much as I can. Yep, yep. And, and. Yeah, Emily always said she was like, you and Mike are like, hope to die. Yeah. It's just like, and that's how I was too. It was like, I really am not interested in like, 
I want to be interested in doing it like that, but there's no part of me that can because it's no. just not interest. Like I, I, I aspire to be, but it's just not there. I just want to like get as loaded as yeah. I can by I, myself. Uh huh. I want to get yeah, just go wide open the yeah. whole time. Yeah, like I don't want to have to like think about how this looks or yeah. worry about anything that has to do with that. Like nope. I just want to be as like like as possible. Yeah. Shut, lock the door, and maybe peek out the blinds every yeah. fifteen minutes. <laughs> every fifteen. You know, and then take yeah. a part of vacuum right. or something. <laughs> So my wife got in the ring with that, you know, she, we got into an, it was a extremely like dysfunctional, gross relationship, you know? Yeah. And I have a temper. I do. I'm the same way. You know, I, when I, when I drink, I do things when I'm drunk that I would never do sober. And my mind tells me that it's okay. Yeah. You know? And my wife is the, the same way. You know, we were like both physical, you know, my, uh, my wife is very, uh, what's the word you'd use? Um, I got lots of words. She's like a firecracker. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. She's 5'3". Yes. But she's got a big personality. You know, uh-huh. she's, she's she's got a six foot five personality. Yeah. And, yeah, she, I mean, I would imagine she would not. She gets in the ring swinging. Oh, yeah. For full, sure. Full, you full, know. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so for like. She and I almost got in a fist fight. Yeah. And I I mean, I, I was sober. I hadn't been in a fist fight in so long. Yeah. And I was like, are we gonna, are we going to do this? Yeah. Like, is this happening? You know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I would, and loaded, I would, I would imagine. And I remember when she did get loaded, you know, it's so hard, those situations, like how, as the friend, yeah. how to like, how close do you, how, how, how much do you get in, like, get right. close to that, to no, that it's tornado. Yeah. 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 It was really painful. And like, I think I was like, I love you. I'm here. I'm not mad at you. But like, I don't know how to, I don't know where we fit in each other's lives at this point right yeah. now. You know, call me if you need anything. I will always show up. But, like, I don't know. And she did call me once. She yeah. called me once. I don't know if you remember this. It was during finals. I hadn't talked to her in maybe a year yeah. or something. And called me and was like, I don't remember what was going on, but it was really bad. And she was like, I need I need Mike out of the house, and I need you to come help me get him out. Yeah. And I was like, well, call 911. And I had known, like, I had known you sober and known your anger, like, like, I remember you got mad at a parking attendant and made a comment about, like, waiting in the back of your truck with a sledgehammer when they would, like, come back. And I was like, oh, he's serious. Like, like there's a grudge. Like, yeah. like, like once you're angry at someone, that, that's what I picked up. Once you're angry at someone, like, you are, that is, like, you hold on to that, right? Like, it's yeah. like, it's not, it's not a passing, like, oh, that's really annoying. You know, like, yeah. there's, there's, that anger is constantly being sparked. And so she called me and I came down there and like you were super high on meth and getting you out of the house. And I was legitimately afraid of you, like legitimately like, um, if he comes back, I can't come back here. Like, yeah. And I don't remember that. You don't no. remember this? No. Oh, yeah. So I came and I was like, if I came down because Emily couldn't do it. Yeah. And I came down. I called Joanne like backup, whatever. And I came down. And I, I just remember you grabbing your shoes and I came in and I was like, you have to leave. Yeah. Like, you have to leave now or I'm calling the cops. Yeah. And you, you looked at me like you were going to kill me. Yeah. And uh, and you were super high. And I was like, this is so scary. I remember like, like I've hung out with a lot of scary people, but yeah. like you when you're loaded is so like your anger is palpable. Yeah. And, um, and you left and I said to Em like, 
I'm genuine. He knows where I live. Like I'm genuinely afraid. Like you know, and and then you were back like a week later, and I yeah. was like, I love you, but like I can't help you if you're not willing to like totally. I get it. You know that whole situation, but yeah, it was super scary. Yeah. See, and I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Were we in the studio at the time? Uh huh. The yeah. downstairs one. Yeah. 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 I don't have any recollection of that. Yeah, I was super freaked out. Super, super freaked out. And it was at night too, so I was just like, oh, he's so like. He's so mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Understandably. Under, but, understandably. Like, no, why but, wouldn't you be mad at me? I mean, looking back, like, that's how I lived my life. Totally. You know, like, that's, I, I don't remember it, but I don't, wouldn't put it past myself. But that's know? the thing about why when we talk about you being 10 years sober. Yeah. And we, why, why, like, you in particular, I think because I knew you, like, I had experiences with you loaded. That's what's so remarkable about it because people like you don't, get sober and stay sober for 10 years. Like I saw that. I saw that person who's like that angry. And in order for you to stay sober, I know what it takes to stay sober 10 years. Yeah. And I know what hope to die, alcoholic, drug addict, angry. I know what that work looks like because I did that work. Yeah. And um, like one of my amends to my family was that I was not allowed to put my hands on, that I would never put my hands on them again. That was amends I made. Like I had like, like I'm a three-year-old. Like I will not hit my family. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. I was, I was, I was embarrassed that that had to be an amends that that had to like, you know, I reached across the table like two years ago, Marina, my sister was sitting next to me and she went like this, like yeah. completely flinched. like flinched back. And I looked at her, I was like, did you think I was going to hit you? And she was like, sorry, it's just, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. It, like, and she, we had this weird interaction and I had to like get up from the table and go like cry. Like, like the effect we have on people, like we don't, I don't remember, right? Yeah. Like you don't, rem- I don't remember, but like my anger was explosive. And for you to stay sober 10 years with that kind of anger and that kind of stuff means you did the work. Yeah. Because you can't stay, you can't do it. You can't put that many days together sober and not do some work. It's too hard. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great. Like I definitely, I relate when guys come in and have similar like, uh, Stories is mine, right? Yeah. Uh, drink like I drink. Use right, like right, I right. Use. But I don't like, uh, it's hard for me to look back and like recognize that person. Yeah. You know? Totally. You, so you and M eventually break up. Yeah. And there's, so, okay. So along, so that was, I got with her when I was 20. And from 20 to. And, and she's eight. She's, eight years older. She's old. Yeah. Okay. That's whole relationship. Our whole relationship started on lies, basically. Right. Right. Like I thought she was a certain age. Oh, that's right. How old did she say she was? I she was twenty eight at the time. Right, right. How did she lied about it? No, no. She said she's twenty eight. Oh, but she I, did. I thought she was like twenty two. Oh, you lied about your age. So I was. I told her I was twenty four at the time. That's right. That's uh, right. I'm like, uh, yeah, I want to. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Spend some time with yeah, this yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah, right? right. And uh, <laughs> so we we hung out for a couple of weeks before I was like, hey, I gotta tell you, like, I'm. I need to tell you something. Yeah. And so I told her I was twenty, and she was like. You know, had this. Rea- I think she actually hit me, and uh, <laughs> she had like a a reaction, and then it, that lasted about ten minutes, and it was like, so you want to go get something? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I was like moving on. Yeah, and um, and so yeah, we had this like extremely hostile relationship, uh, and uh, there was a couple times during that three year that three year period period where um, we had tried to get sober. Right, I I would try to get sober. She would try to get sober, and. Uh, and it was just in and out, in and out. And this was like, obviously, I knew I had a problem, right? Yeah. I was willing to admit I had a drug problem. Yeah. I didn't want to stop drinking. 
Right. But I for I knew I couldn't drink without getting high. Yeah. And uh, and I wasn't at this time. I wasn't willing to do any of the work. Still, like I right. would do a little bit more each time. Right. 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 A little right, bit right, more. Right. Right. But then when it came down to like put the work in, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And uh, and I ended up loaded. And I I you know there's that like. Uh, I would just repeat the insanity. I thought I could do it differently this time. I could do it this way. I yeah. could do it this way. And it for me, for me, it, I needed that. I needed I needed to I needed alcohol drugs and alcohol to kick my ass enough times yep. to where I was finally broken to yeah. like give it a shot, yeah. you know? And that's what happened. So we had split up and uh, and this was like a permanent permanent deal. There was some stuff that went down where like there was no way yeah. we were getting back together. Yeah, yeah. And uh no coming back from it. No coming back. Yeah. And uh you know, I'd always, when I was younger, I'd always been in, you know, construction. And uh, this was like the time where the construction industry collapsed. You know, there was no work. Wages had been driven down. I was working, uh, I was actually working for Randy. <laughs> and uh, and I had been, like, that project ended and I had been laid off. So the only job I could hold down was I was, like, cleaning kennels at an animal hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, And I would just show up. I was able to be loaded all the time. It was, like... Uh, me and her were separated, so it was poor me. And I was like, I'd come to terms with like, okay, I can't drink because I'll I get high. I'm, I'll go get meth, and when I get on meth, I get in trouble. Right, right. So if I could just smoke pot, if right. I could just smoke weed, right, and get my hands on these animal animal med- medication, like I could go through life like that, right, right? Right, right. And so from like June, June or July to November, that's what I did, right. And by the that that those few months, by the end of that, like I was gonna put a pistol in my mouth. Like I was, I could not do life anymore. Why, what was, why, why did you want to die? Like, what do you, I couldn't, I knew the consequences of the drugs and alcohol, right. Of my behavior on that. Right. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I, I hurt people physically, emotionally. Right. I just destroy people's lives, whether I want to or not. Like that's my behavior. Yeah. And, uh, I couldn't do that anymore. And I couldn't go on like with how, I, how I was living. It just wasn't good enough anymore. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get high enough yeah. To feel okay. Yeah. You know? Stopped um, working. Stopped working. And uh, and for whatever reason, I was like at my mom's house, you know, back at mom's house. <laughs> uh, and I was in my brother's bathroom and I was smoking like my last bowl, blowing it out the window. And I just remember like I just had like this like feeling of like desperation and willingness to be like, okay, I'll give it one more, one more shot. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care about the the guy who wears the leather shoes with no socks, right? Like he'll eventually get his life together and start wearing socks. <laughs> but that can't be a reason I'm right, not gonna. Right, right. Like I'm going around judging all these people, but like I'm smoking weed in my mom's bathroom. Yeah, they're laughing, right? They're right. smiling. They're going. They're like, have, they're living good lives. They're doing things, right. right? And supposedly they think like I think. You know, right. I'm willing to be like, okay, yeah. And a couple years prior to that, I had been in a, a, a sober living, right? And the guy next to me. This is like when I started getting loaded. I was still living in a sober living when I first met him. The guy living next to me is still sober. Uh, I, I mean, he's a good, good friend of me. But I was being like one room smoking meth at the sober living house before I got kicked out. And he was like getting a job and like doing things, right? Yeah. So, and when I saw that he was still around, I was like, well, shit, like maybe, you know, I know him. Yeah, yeah. I could hang out with him. Yeah. And so there was a birthday party. Uh, there was like a one-year birthday party right at a, one of our friend's houses. And I showed up there. I had no, it was like day one. I had nowhere else to go. And I showed up to like, just be a, a part, just be around. Right. Just, I didn't, it was either like go get loaded or. Or be here. Get here or with shoot myself. People. You're right. You know? Right. And I came in, I started talking to this guy, Chris, and uh, we started talking 
And uh, he was like, hey, you know, I need to go use the bathroom. So we went up into the apartment and we started talking and like I just like broke down. Right. And, you know, Chris uh, tattooed from the neck down to the fingertips, mm-hmm. like just to kind of like a dude who I would never show emotion in front of, yeah. you know, and I broke down and I cried like I cried like a little baby. And uh, and I said, look, dude, like I'm going to die. I can't live this way anymore. Like I need some help. And it was he was like he was there for me, you know. And I called that guy, I called him every day, and like I was, he was the first guy I could get honest with, you know, and... What we, was his reaction to you crying, right? Was he like... He didn't care. He didn't he give a shit. He was just loving and yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like he understood, right? I, I could tell he understood the pain, you yeah. know? And I was, he was the first guy I was able to get honest to. And one of the, this was like the, a turning point where when I was able to be honest with another man with similar, in a similar situation, right, who parties the way I party, they have similar stories, right? And... So I would, it would, there would be like this exchange, you know, where I would open up a little bit and then he would tell me something, right? And then I would open up and it was like healing to know that I wasn't alone, yeah. you know? And so I was like starting to work with, work with him and I was going to meetings every day. And then I had met, I had met Chad when I first started coming around, right? And he's like another one of those guys for me who like God has put in my life. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, we're still working at that animal hospital and Chad called me one day and he was like, Hey, I started a business, uh, with your background, will you come work for me? And he goes, it was more money. I need you to go drive around and take care of whatever. And I was like, yeah. So what that did was it put me in my, it put me in my truck like 10 hours a day driving around all over Southern California. And I would just like smoke two packs of camels <laughs> and I would listen to, I would listen to speaker CDs all day. That's all I did. I would go, I would get, I'd go to the Gucci, I'd get a bunch of CDs and I would just listen to them all day. And that, that experience of driving around so when I'm driving around, right, and they're just like raging, you know, because you know, I was angry when I got sober. Yeah. And, uh, and I would listen to these people and I wasn't able to look at them and judge them. Right. right? I would just, right. I would just hear these people and I would laugh, right? And I would relate and yeah. I would like. You couldn't see them. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I couldn't see them, right? right. And it, it made a huge, huge difference. And I would hear people like Patio or, uh, you know, Scott Redmond and this guy, Larry T from who's a plumber, who's like hilarious, right? And it was the first time I was able to like laugh because I related. I related yeah. to the thinking, right? Yeah. And uh, and it was just like, and it would just keep me, it would just kind of keep me focused and I was able to go to the next meeting, right? Yeah. And then I would able, and it's like I started putting days together, you know? And um, and I was just started, I was willing enough to just do a little bit more, yeah. right? Just do a little bit more. Yeah. And it kind of grew and grew and grew. And then um, like six months in, once I got six months of sobriety, I was like, okay, I'm not going to, by that time I had never built anything. Good thing was I never got any credit. I never burned anything to the ground. I never acquired anything. Oh, right. So I had nothing. I lived my life like I had nothing to lose and I didn't, I had yeah. nothing. And, um, so I was like, okay, if I'm gonna, if I'm going to stay sober, right. And if I'm going to build myself a life, um, like these other people are doing, I need to, I need to find something to do. So I, I went back to school, got like a, I went to like a technical school and, uh, got into a trade. And during this time, my my now wife, I was back with them. We had gotten back together. We were doing like couples counseling. And oh, like, it was so funny when you guys got back. To, everyone was like, are you kidding? Yeah. Well, so when I first got sober, <laughs> we had a dog together, right? Right, 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 right. And I would be like, when you, co- when you come off a long r- road mm-hmm. of meth, mm-hmm. you, start, you start to like, your physical appearance changes pretty quick. <laughs> so I had this like mindset of like, well, I can just go see the dog and she could see how good I'm doing. Right, right. right. We would occasionally run each other at meetings, right? We kind of had no same friends, so... Uh, it was my way of like manipulating the situation to kind of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. see if it would work out. And um, so we eventually like got back together. She had gotten sober before me. 
and um, like a year and a half of a year and a half in, my wife she got pregnant. Right, I was in school full time. I was mm-hmm. working full time, and she was in cosmetology school full time. So like total beauty school, you know, pregnant girl, <laughs> nine months pregnant in beauty school, and uh, <laughs> and it was and it was gnarly. And what happened by that time? I still was mad at God. Right, I still did not have a God in my life that was like I was like at a point where I I came to believe in a power greater than myself. Right, but I didn't know what that power was if I could. If I even trusted that power, yeah. right? But I was like, okay, I acknowledge there might be something. Right. You know? And uh, so my wife got pregnant and uh, with my first daughter. And then I had this experience when my, my first daughter was born. So besides all the stuff going down, when you're on like the, the opposite air, opposite end of the barrel of the, the baby <laughs> coming out, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and when, my, when my daughter came out and I heard her cry, um... I start. I started crying. Right? I saw God. It was the first time I ever felt love like that. I knew, like, for whatever reason, I was kept alive for a purpose. Yeah. There's something out there that can bring something like that into this world, right? And uh, and I could do business with that. Yeah. Um, I was able to like start to believe in something good, you yeah. know. And then the sleep deprivation kicked in. And then I haven't slept in eight years. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and it was crazy. So. Life just started going, you know, and and so I was what a year and a half, two years sober at that time. But I was able to like now I was completely open. I had right, I had I had developed this concept of God. I I could believe in, you know. Yeah. And uh, life was life was moving. Um, I was getting sober. I was able to like yeah, and that's where like I was able to be honest with him. And I had gotten I had been beat up so much by drugs and alcohol, and I wasn't willing to go back. That I became willing to t- tell those things to men. Yeah. Right. Whether like I was embarrassed or not, like the feeling of embarrassment was 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 worth not having to go back the way I was living. And was the embarrassment like was it as bad as you thought it was going to be when you no, said those things? You know, no, it wasn't at all. Like, did anyone laugh at you or shame you? Oh, I definitely got laughed at. Yeah, for sure. But it wasn't in a way of like. Yeah. It wasn't in like a mean yeah, way. Yeah. It wasn't like how I thought it was going to be. Right? right, right. They would share something with me and I would just be like blown away and laugh at them. You right, know? right, right. And that's like something I found in Alcoholics Anonymous. Like there's a lot of things I can talk about with my my sober friends that I would never in a million oh, years yeah. tell oh, people yeah. I work with. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so life just started changing. And, uh, and, but, you know, and then when I got sober, I started facing the other things. Like now that drugs and alcohol are, aren't in my life anymore. I still have to address my my behavior and my thinking, right? Yeah. And when you're doing, I'll tell you what, when when I was doing, when I still, when I'm doing those things that I suggested and outlined, right, I feel a lot, I'm a lot, it's a lot easier for me to go through life and feel like a normal human, human being. Yeah, yeah, it's much easier. And I think, I mean, for me at least, I don't really have the choice to not do those things because my behavior gets like, you know, step one is like, our lives were unmanaged. We were powerless and our yeah. lives are unmanageable, right? And like my life, if I'm not doing the work, get it, I'm powerless and unmanageable without alcohol. Like, oh, yeah. To my knees, yeah. bottom, crying, staring up, begging God to take me or make it better, you know? Yeah. And I don't need drugs and alcohol to feel that way. No. And drugs and alcohol just helped with that until they didn't. And you know, I think there's some people who don't have to work as hard. I'm not one of those people. Like, my alcoholism had progressed so significantly, yeah. like yours, that, like, I'm not one of those people because I will I will use anything to feel better, and I'll do it in sobriety. Yeah. And so, 
that work um, that we talk about is is a daily practice. Like it's not, it's more like just the practice of being connected to the community, you know, telling the truth, like showing up, suiting up, showing up, telling the truth. Yeah. And then things, I don't know, things just change, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And then, like, I won't even see it in myself. Right. You know? It's yeah, a, yeah. And I'll see it in other guys. And, and, and I'll see, like, how they look when they come in, how the steps they take, right? Their yeah. action. Yeah. You know, the amount of willingness and action that they do. And then I see their results. And I'm like, man, like, it's just insane. And I'm sure that's how people feel about us, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, As it's a lot easier to see it in somebody else. And that's how I know the program works. Right. You know? Right. Right. We watch it. Yeah. How has, so with your mom, like, and when you, when you dealt with the Mexico stuff, what did that look like? Like, did you talk to your mom about it? What, how did, how did you let go of that anger? Not until I got sober, even with the stuff with my dad, you know what I mean? Like, here's one thing, getting sober with the relationship with my parents. When I got sober, right, and you start, and I start, I'm full blown, full blown alcoholic. And I, when I started to learn what that actually meant, right, what, how that actually makes me behave, and I'm able to kind of like see someone else's perspective on things, yeah, right, not just how I mm-hmm. want to make it, it be in my head. Like I, when my mom sent me to that place, that was probably the best she could do. You know right. what I mean? When somebody advertises, and I mean, she's a a mom who loves her son. That she probably thought she was doing a good thing. She didn't know that that that's how the experience was going to be, right. you know, or the effect it was going to have on me. Or, right. So I'm able to understand that, you know, and like those times I understand why my dad behaves the way he behaves, right. you know, like uh, I, it makes sense to me. I know I could tell you 100% if I went out and drank today, I would, nothing else in my life make, means a damn thing. Even my kids, my wife, my job, not because by choice, yeah, but because that's how it is, right? I get so handcuffed by alcohol. Yeah. That nothing else matters. Yeah. It's a, it's a terrifying, you know, I so really, like, I was young, so I had very little to lose. Like, yeah. I didn't really have anything, um, didn't significant others or kids or anything. And, like, one of the things that's so scary now when when I deal deal with my alcoholism in whatever form it's showing up in is that, like, I have so much to lose and it's the scariest thing ever. Like, having a disease, a brain disease that tells you lies. Yeah. And having a lot to lose and a lot of people who count on you and having, you know, little kids that look up to you, it's it's scarier than it's ever been. Yeah. Like, because, I, you know, it's one thing when it's just you, right, and your mm-hmm. parents and whatever. And it's another thing, like, when you've built stuff and it forces you to either grow or go, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's like, that's, I mean, getting sober was one thing, but staying sober <laughs> has been like... uh you know, it's like a, a, I get to learn about myself. You know yeah. what I mean? Things that, you know, I know, I don't know, or what I, I, I think I know. Like being a parent, you know, there's like guys I, I reach out to and seek help. You know, I seek advice for, uh, you know, my marriage and how to discipline my kids and different behaviors or, hey, I need to go down to the school and talk to such and such. What do I, this is what I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, I know how this will probably play out. Right. Do you have any advice? You right, know, right, what do you think right, I should, right. How do you think I should handle this? You yeah. Know? And then do you take the advice? Yeah, 99% of the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I've like learned like if when I don't take the advice or if I do things my way, it's probably going to be painful. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and we have, I mean, I have low tolerance for pain these days. Yeah. Like I really do. Yeah. I really, I really like little pain and I'm like, you know, I, I don't need a belt. I'm, I, I'm just terrified of, okay, I'll change, I'll change. Yeah. Um. So, you know, when I know that my way... 
you know, I mean, it, not that not that it's perfect, but I definitely I just can't sit in the pain the way that I yeah that I once did. Yeah, I have to. I don't like feeling it. Yeah, you know, even being sober, and it's like, well, I know what I need to do. Right. You know? Right. And uh, it's been that way in my sobriety. Like I'll go through like these like you know three six month periods where you're going my you know you go like up and down mm-hmm. on this journey, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it directly relates to how much I'm putting in yep. and what I'm doing. Right. And life gets busy. I mean, it's it it feel you know you get busy. You have all these obligations. You build this. You, I mean, you have a great career that you've built and. You know, I want to say something about that, which is that, you know, you had this, you had this, these experiences with law enforcement and drugs and whatever. And it was definitely something people could see and look at, you know, on on some sort of record or whatever. And that you now are heavily integrated with law enforcement and and have this like amazing career now where you are trusted and like, like probably in a place you never thought you would, yeah. <laughs> you would possibly like you probably do I mean hang out with law enforcement yeah. and you know and what a gift that is to like their that redemption yeah yeah it's crazy so one of the things was like uh I yeah now I work directly with law enforcement and uh and getting in starting that and going you know getting all the gnarly background checks yeah yeah and the investigations you know and they would like uh they you know they show up at your house and they like verify you live there and talk to your neighbors and it was like a big deal oh, and okay. uh and i was just honest with them you know when i part of the stuff when i got in trouble when i was younger like i did all i thank god i didn't like violate or yeah, yeah, get yeah. any like get in any more trouble and a lot of like the conditions of those were is if i completed right did what i needed to do uh it would go away it, it would or, be dismissed but yeah. it's still there yeah, they yeah, can yeah. see it yeah, yeah you know and i was honest about all that stuff when i when i applied and i went through the process and i feel like there's a lot when I look at like other guys I work with and the types of like certifications and, and uh, you know certificates and things like that that they have, I have like ten times more than a lot of the guys I work with, and I think like that may have had something to do with it. Like I feel like I had to like do a lot yeah, more, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just to just to be on the same playing yeah. field because I had like over, this dark side. We overcompensate totally, yeah. and and it was like yeah to overcompensate because of my past, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. when it would come up, and I would just be honest with them. I told them, you know, like. They would ask me this question. I would say, yep, I did that, you know, and I don't live that way anymore, you know. Uh, at the time, I was sober for like seven, eight years, and uh, it had been a long time since I'd been arrested. I think when I when I was seven or eight years sober, it had been over 10 years of being arrested. And it was basically, you know, they're judging your moral character. They're looking at, like, I don't think I've had a speeding ticket in sobriety, you know, and uh, and it's huge. And when I was living that lifestyle, my views on law enforcement was like, why don't they just leave me alone? You know, mm-hmm. like, why are they hassling me? You right. know, but when you look like a scumbag and you're doing scumbag things, <laughs> it's their job. What did we call you guys? We called you guys um, Team Dirtbag. Yeah, right? Team Dirtbag. Like, because I dated one of yeah. the friends or whatever, and we called you guys Team Dirtbag. So when, you, when you're living that way of yeah. life, of course, it's yeah. their job to do that, yeah. right? And uh, <laughs> and being, like, working with them now, like, it's it's just crazy, like what I'm what I'm trusted with, yeah. my relationships with them. Yeah, you know, there was a, I was in a probably six seven months ago. The car came in; they were having like a communication problem with the other radios and the PBS, and I had to get in the back. I had to open up the back to get to the the some of the wiring, and um, there was like a sunglasses case, right? And no one else was around. I was the only person in the shop, and there was like a sunglasses case. And I had to move it, and I was like, oh, something's in there. And I'm like, well, okay, what's in there? 100% heroin. Curious what's in there. No, I opened it up, and there was a huge bag of, huge bag of meth. They just took off somebody oh. that they were taking in to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to re, uh, record it. 
And it was like, they were unable to make it. They had to come out of the shop. And I think like I made like a, I was like. You made a sound. I made a sound. Yeah. And I had that, not like, hey, I want to get loaded. Yeah, but yeah. I like immediately had to use the bathroom. You know, like I, <laughs> if you've ever like. Totally. Dabbled in. Oh, I, oh yes. It's a hundred percent. You don't want to do that with yeah. not near a bathroom. And I was just like, and then I put it back in the thing and I just kept going about my business. Yeah. And, uh, and then after that happened, I was like blown away. And I was like, I didn't like take any of it, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I wasn't like, I didn't even like put it, put it to the side and go, I just might hold it for a rainy day. Yeah, like, right, there wasn't right. even anything like that. Right, right, you know? right. Um, Touch it just to see, like smell it, the purity. No, nothing. And it was like that, after that, we were, so I was saying it was easier to see, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and other people. That was one of the times where I was able to see, see them myself. Yourself, yeah. Where I was just like that. I did something different. I did something different. And it wasn't, it was like, wasn't even like, I didn't even have to think about it. Yeah. You know? And so my relationship with, yeah, with law enforcement and like that mending of my views towards that has been, has been huge, you know? And you probably, I don't know if some of the guys know, but I'm assuming some of the guys know your history. No. They don't. No, nobody. At, I keep my like anonymity at work. So where yeah. I'm just a straight shooter. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But some of the guys must know because they did your background check, right? Yeah, but they're, I mean, the department is so big. Um, oh, okay. They were up higher. They were more yeah. like, okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, you keep your anonymity there. Yeah, and if I, like, if it ever if it ever comes up, if I need to do something, like, uh, it's not. It's like I said. It's just I'm just honest about it. Yeah. You know, and I now I I've been sober long enough that I have a track record of right on paper. You can look and be like, this guy doesn't live like that anymore. Right. You know. Right, and that's that's the you know we put you know we create this evidence evidence that we don't evidence that we've changed evidence that we don't live that way evidence that things work out okay if we put in the work yeah you know i like to call it evidence because i think a lot of the time we're looking for like we investigate things like yeah. whether like as a case like is it true will it be like is everything going to be okay or whatever when we hit another roadblock and i have to look back at the evidence the yeah. evidence says you know because i want i want proof of everything yeah and the evidence says that everything's gonna like if i historically when i do the work the evidence shows that it works out okay oh yeah yeah that's like uh when i when i like came to have a, you know a god i can believe in that's been like huge where like I, there's been times where i've been like the fear of unknowing right yeah. or like i get in financial insecurity yeah. or or getting into a certain job trying to get in with law enforcement right yeah I just like trust that it's going to be okay. Yeah. I don't know how that, I have to be okay with that, not knowing how that's going to look. Yeah. But I just have to, I trust that it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, and know that it might not be how I want it. Right. Right. And that, and that that is a form of okay. Like that might be better. That might, like, we don't know what the plan is. Yeah. How has, like, you have a very unique situation with Emily where you guys got loaded together yeah. and then we're able to get sober separately and then get back together. And you've been able to, like, it's very uncommon for people who get loaded together to be able to stay together. Yeah. What in your marriage and you know, you've gone to couples counseling. What, what are some, like, how were you guys able to be different than the status quo? That's a lot. I mean, I think that has a lot to do with it is for one, like working on ourselves, right. Outside of us, like getting to know ourselves personally. Right. Right. Seeking professional help for our relationship, you know, um, because there'll be times where, and this works both ways, where one of us will say something and I can't hear it. Yeah. And tell somebody I just paid money to can totally, tell me. Totally, totally. And I'm like, wow, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Totally. I never, I never they thought just of it that say, way. Yeah, right, you know? right. Um, we, we have this joke about like, so like we've done a lot of therapy, we've done a lot of counseling and, 
and uh, you know the the our couples counts our couples counselors cash only takes you know two hundred and twenty yeah. bucks. So like we try really like we know that if we cannot solve verb like communicate this problem that we're having yeah. right now, it's going to be two hundred and twenty dollars to yeah. like. You know, so we like we try really hard. <laughs> like, how serious, how misunderstood are we? Yeah. You know, at an impasse because we know, that yeah, <laughs> we're gonna walk in, pay two hundred twenty dollars. They're gonna say it, we're gonna, oh, you know. Yeah. So, but but it is, you know, it's a it's a constant tool and it's important. And I think a lot of guys have beliefs about therapy that stop them from doing it. Yeah. Well, and like for me. As I went to a lot of like ADD stuff when I was a kid, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was just like not wanting anything to do with it. And it's like part of that, like I had to even with couple stuff, I had to find someone who I could really feel like was yeah. like non biased, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and that, but you were willing to do that if this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I've learned that in in sobriety, like it takes work to keep things together, you know? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. It. <laughs> And it, there's like certain certain platforms. Me and my wife can be more different, you know. Yeah. And like learning how to like bridge that or communicate across that, and uh, sometimes it's a struggle. You know, yeah. there's some topics like we choose not to talk about just yep. because it's like gets heated. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's like living with the disagreement and yeah. letting it be okay. Like yeah. that was something I had to learn because I want to like attack it till it's dead. Yeah, I'm right. And yeah, yeah. Like just I need you to see. How I'm right about this, and like, there's some stuff where you just have to let it be. Yeah, and that's a really like living, moving forward, living in that like discomfort of disagreement and yeah. unresolved. Like living in a marriage where there are things that are unresolved, right? And being happy and continue, you know, like it's yeah, that's hard. Oh, absolutely. And depending on what it is, that can be really serious. You know, if it's with the kids or whatever, and like having to navigate that, and then all of our ego stuff and. You know, and then you have two alcoholics. Yeah. So, you know, it's um, – do you guys have plans on whether or not you're going to tell your girls or, like, how do you discuss being sober? You know, like, ev- eventually I'm sure it will. Just by, like, statistical data, one of our kids has probably yeah. got a pretty good chance of being an alcoholic, you know. But, like, my oldest, she's eight now, and, uh, like, she knows we don't drink. She doesn't know why. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but does she know, like, that you go to meetings? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, she and she's asked. Yeah, I just told her, you know, we talk about God, talk about how to be a better parent, um, you know, how to like uh, be a better friend, you know, a better husband. Yeah, I don't tell her it's like my life depends on it. You know? <laughs> 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 like you don't understand, I need to go. Yeah, you know? just that conversation. Like, yeah, and then my dad told me, yeah, I my kids go, are you going to your meeting? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What my my youngest will say yeah. that. Yeah, but like being in a sober house, like. 95% of our friends yeah. are all in the program, right? right? So it's kind of like the norm, I think. Right, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just interesting, uh, you know, I I always curious, like, what are people's opinions or plans on, like, how to talk about the fact that, like, your parents go to meetings and don't yeah. drink. And, like, I think the not drinking piece is probably the least of it, yeah. like, right? Because it's just, like, they don't do that. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But – like the meetings and the like and the, the the other people and the different things that we do yeah seems like at some point they would have questions about that yeah yeah i don't know and that's gonna be like probably one of those things like hey how did i tell your kids or how did you tell your kids you know yeah. because i don't know yeah. i the way my experience was is going to be different than how i tell my kids right 
So Right, right. We're trying to do it better. Yeah. So what's big on the uh, docket for you this year? This year, uh, I'm going to try to promote. And, uh, I mean, that just depends on somebody retires. You know, I'm going to try to promote. I don't know. Kids' birthday parties and, yeah, and right. house remodeling. Right, you know? right, right. The, yeah. the exciting the exciting stuff now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, you are an amazing success story, and I'm super grateful that you came on here and Thank shared you. it with me and or, and you told the truth, you know. Yeah. You just told the truth and – I know that um, I know that it'll help a lot of people, and I think it's I think it's really cool that you know what you talked about with listening to the tapes and not being able to see and judge the person. I hadn't thought about that, but I I wonder if that helps people like podcast stuff too. You know, it was like, huge. You know, it was huge just for me. like not having that distraction. Yeah, and hearing the message. So that's really cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate you having having you here. Yeah, thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800-258-6550 or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information.